The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. The one-two pitch, ball line to Yout, it's short, he throws, it's over! The Brewers have won the American League pennant! Milwaukee, you have a World Series! Hit in the air... Yount makes a great catch, and Juan Diemus has thrown the first no-hitter in Milwaukee Brewer history. Swings, and here it is! A base hit in the right center. He's done it. 3,000 for Robin. And there's a drive in the left field. This is hit well, and it's gone! Morgan a smash up the middle, base hit the center. Here comes Gomez around third. A throw and the Brewers win. The Brewers are moving on on a base hit by Nigel Morgan. Here it is. Yelich sends one to right center and deep. Get up, get up, get out of here and go for Yelich. You're cruising for a bruising with me, Andrew Snyder. I'm me. Adam McGee. As we talk all things Milwaukee Brewers for the Eurostep Podcast Network and Blue Wire Podcast, Adam, uh, a huge, a huge sports day, uh, final day of the English Premier League season, the PGA Championship, hockey playoffs, NBA playoffs, a lot going on. But here we are to talk about a three-game series between the Milwaukee Brewers and the Washington Nationals. The Brewers, for the third consecutive three-game series, have taken two out of three from a National League East opponent. First off, Adam, hey, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, a lot of sports, a lot of sports for work, a lot of sports for pleasure. And how much of it went my way today? How much of it went the way I'd like? Maybe it's best I don't comment on what went my way today. Yeah, I I did a lot of losing as well. Even when I won, I lost. So it it was a uh, a very a very tough sports day for me and a very tough sports day for the Milwaukee Brewers. But overall, uh, a series against the Nationals that had some positives. It had some negatives as well, and it's something that leaves you not feeling cold at the end of the day, but just feeling like opportunity was missed. Because going into this series, we commented that the Washington Nationals are not very good, and the Brewers need to take advantage of this weak spot on the schedule. 
uh, and rack up some wins in their chase for getting one of those top two seeds in the National League playoff picture. Um, things got started off on the right foot, though, on Friday in a matchup between Eric's Eric Lauer and Eric Fetty. Uh, Eric Lauer uh, was the victor there, but it was another game that was kind of like uh, in the early goings. Uh, new Brewers, same as the Brewers <laughs> you've all, always known because it was a game that was scoreless through five innings, and it looked like an Eric Lauer gym was going to be wasted. But then in the bottom of the sixth inning, reliable as ever, Rowdy Telez comes to the plate and crushes a two-run home run to give them a 2 nothing lead. Adam, this is why I want Rowdy in that cleanup spot. I want him to come up to the plate in situations with runners on when he can do damage. And I think the right-handed pitcher being on the mound gave opportunity for Craig Council not to outthink himself, and Rowdy comes up with a clutch hit. And I think that's something uh, that we would see more of if he came up with more of those opportunities and wasn't shuttled to sixth place in the lineup randomly. Uh, game game one, were you kind of uh, happy with some of the roster decisions going into it? We got Andrew McCutcheon back, and it seems like um, this team is starting to to shift back into a sense of normalcy. And then at the end of the weekend, obviously, we got some bad news. But uh, one thing this this series definitely showcases is despite the wins, uh, they really need to be whole again and get Willie Adamas back into the lineup because uh, some of the old defensive concerns uh, reared their head. Not in game in game one, but uh, well, what were your thoughts, kind of how things shook out in game one, having a, a win that uh, was comprehensive on the scoreboard but still was managed to feel stressful in the early goings? I mean, they win game one. They win game one pretty well in the end because – the lineup was kind of cohesive, coherent even, makes sense. It's tough for them with Willie out at the moment. We're certainly seeing that when they try to mix things up and we'll get to it. But this was one where you're like, okay, we've got Rowdy at first, Colton at second, Jace at third. Yeah, that's going to work. Uh, Luis at short, shortstop, is that as good as Willie there? No, but that's your your best alternative. Like, I think all, all in all, that works out pretty well. And as much as you've got a really good Eric Lauer um, outing, in particular, I think the key for Lauer was no walks. Like, I think that's that's something that we've seen with quite a few Brewers pitchers where it's not even necessary that they're giving up a ton of hits game to game, but you don't want to get too walky. And then it's just, you know, one, uh, one poorly placed or mistimed pitch and all of a sudden it's a two or three run homer and you're putting yourself in a tough spot so no walks to me was the really crucial element for Eric Lara in this game but also it's hard not to look at the last week 10 days and the rest of this series and not just kind of come to terms that he had the best infield defense they could possibly have out there I think in this series in front of him and he managed to have a shutout, you know, and having that group out there and then going from Lauer, who is absolutely dialed in, if not actually their most dialed in pitcher to this point in the season, certainly in terms of starters, he's second to Corbin Burns on that front. And then to go Devin Williams and Aaron Ashby, who's also looking better in a relief role, although, well, that, he may not be long for that role. Um, 
that that's the kind of they're the key ingredients that set you up for a brewer's win and a kind of classic brewer's win. This was the classic brewer's win, except that they almost made it too easy in the end, Andrew, for all of the early struggles. Seven runs is quite a lot, you know. We're we're not entirely used to that at all times. Don't be spoiling us. Um, but on the whole, I was very pleased with Lara's performance. I think the defense was just solid as you would like to see it be. I think it was any errors in this game, which was also nice. Um, and then you're getting some solid production with the back. Christian Yelich doing some good work to get on base. Uh, ends up with a couple of runs. Rowdy, obviously, with his homer. Um, under Renfro, too. And they are crucial, crucial players who have been delivering on that front recently, along with Tyrone Taylor, who had a trio behind this game as well. So they're four guys who are becoming pretty consistent. Tyrone Taylor, definitely there has been a, an uptick in his play, but look, still some stuff to work out here. And even with the, the order, like we've talked about one thing, Rowdy in that cleanup spot, that's great. Is, is Colton at top of the order? Is that it? I mean, we've seen some good performances from him recently in that spot. Um, not the best series here, but after you kind of went in on him a bit, he decided to prove you wrong for about two weeks. I still, I don't know. I know you've suggested uh, Luis Arias in that top of the order leadoff spot. I kind of like Andrew McCutcheon there. And we saw some good results earlier in the season. I wouldn't mind seeing him there. Um, particularly, you could move Colton maybe later, right around the back of the order. I'd actually feel pretty good as someone who could deliver something when it's coming back around. But I think if you got Kutch higher up the order, then you can move Renfro up too. Obviously, Willie coming back is going to change this up as well. Maybe you just move Luis to that leadoff spot and slot Willie back in at number two. Um, but yeah, look, overall, I've gone through, worked through a lot of stuff there, but seven, nothing win. Got to be happy with it. I think good pitching, good infield defense, and the bats got going eventually, even if it was a struggle for five, six innings. Yeah. And it was nice to see Lauer bounce back from a tough start in Miami. Um, I think he took the only loss in that series, gave up four runs, didn't really go deep in that game, wasn't wasn't his sharpest. And and then to come out here, he was really pitching to contact, five strikeouts in seven innings. Um, you know, it's not on the level of his uh, performance against the Phillies where he was just racking up strikeouts one after another, but he was pitching effectively and efficiently and getting guys, uh, using the aggressiveness of the Nationals' offense against them and letting guys get themselves out by swinging at pitches that they can't really do damage on. Um, the efficiency only through 83 pitches. Uh, there, I had to listen to the Nationals broadcast because of where I'm located, and their uh, broadcast team was speculating that you know if he keeps going like this, he's gonna throw a complete game. And unfor- unfortunately, that didn't happen. I think it would have been excited to see, exciting to see Eric Lauer uh, try for a complete game shutout. But like we said, two run homer from Rowdy in the sixth, and then they just had a a monster eighth inning to put a game away. Hunter Renfro singled home Rowdy and Christian Yelich. Then Tyron Taylor's three-run homer made it 7-0. Devin Williams throws a scoreless inning with two strikeouts. Aaron Ashby throws a scoreless inning 
with a strikeout to continue his great run of form. And overall, just uh, post six inning, a nice, easy, comprehensive victory. And Eric Lauer um, was really uh, the man of the match, so to speak, because he set the table to keep them in the game and, and make that happen. Um, again, we see the lineup kind of struggle against a weaker starting pitcher. Five and two-thirds innings pitch, four hits, two runs. For Eric Fetty, he was not sharp. Three walks, only four strikeouts, but they still only did get the rowdy uh, Tellez homer off of him. And I, I think I cut across you there. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to say that you mentioned what have been nice to see the complete game shutout from Lauer. There were a couple of things on the Adam, you know, watches baseball checklist that we managed to get through in this particular game. Uh, the Nationals had a triple play. That was this game, right? It wasn't game two. Um, correct. That was that was Friday, and they almost almost had an inside the park home run, but that ultimately produced a very very fun uh, Brewers moment as the cannon arms of Hunter Renfro and Colton Monk combined to um, who was that again? Lane, Lane Thomas. Thomas, right? Yeah, um, to get Lane Thomas out just before he got back to home plate. And it gave you the ability to see some some more umpire uh, anger from opposing players. Replay was down, I think. The replay system was not working mm-hmm. in this game. And there was some argument uh, that Car- – or was it Narvaez on Friday or was it Caratini? Sorry. It was, it was Omar. Yeah, so Narvaez, um, the, the Nats made the argument that he was blocking the, blocking the plate and didn't give Thomas a lane. Obviously couldn't review it because they didn't have replay. I'm kind of 50-50 on whether or not I think – uh, there was an issue there. It, it's one of those things where uh, I also think uh, cosmically they should not have get re- get, gotten rewarded for that absolutely ridiculous send in that situation. That was very stupid in a game when you're down to nothing. And I, there was either no outs or one out, whatever the situation was, they were going to have an opportunity to get Lane in from third and build an inning. And instead, uh, they got shown... Uh, what happens even when Hunter Renfro is a one leg of a relay throw. Um, great there combination from Renfro, Wong, and Narvaez, a great play. Uh, in a minute or a little bit, we'll talk about another uh, baseball moment you may have gotten to see that where, where the rules are a little wiggly and uh, some uh, you might have had some questions about that. But moving on from game one, a 7 nothing win. Uh, game two, unfortunately, I did not get to see live. Uh, I was, as John Taylor has dubbed me in the Discord, Mr. Events. I was at a concert following the game on I, my phone. I dubbed you that years ago. Uh, I think you it was Mr. Mr. Sports. So it was yeah. Like, you're and like he, big industry sports guy. They, you know, yeah. sports collectively come to you, say, please, sir, buy our tickets, and you oblige. I do oblige. Um... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So yeah, didn't get to see this live. Had to backtrack on it. Watched refreshing on my phone, DMing Adam. Being like, where is Bryce Terang? Call up Bryce Terang. I want him, even though I had not seen anything that was happening. But it pitted uh, Brandon Woodruff against maybe the most, they're the least likable player in baseball, Patrick Corbin. He's in the top five. Uh, Adam, what were your thoughts on game two? Uh, my thoughts were, you know, a 5 0 win, all's well that ends well. Um, you get off to a great start in the first inning. First pitch homer from Kutch. Uh, just give me give me the good stuff again. You know, we had this earlier where people thought I was really into leadoff homers. Sure, leadoff homers cool, but what about a first pitch homer? So that was nice. From there, though, they allowed Corbin to kind of get back into the game to reestablish himself. It was tough sledding. This feels like another one, like is true for. A few games recently, but more so for this. They they found themselves in a lot of tough spots. Um, Brandon Woodruff ultimately got the job done, only allowed one run. It was a homer. He kept it pretty tight, and he worked his way out of trouble. But there was, you know, relatively significant trouble at times. Um, it came in bunches where this game could have got away from them. The infield... is uh it's interesting it's interesting Kesson her at first base not so sure Mike Brasso a third we've talked about this quite a bit already there were certainly moments where you're like you're just asking for trouble here um Caratini had a catcher's interference which I believe it's like the fifth the Brewers about this season I feel like Caratini's had most of those um i believe also the Brewers lead Major League Baseball in terms of catcher's interference, so that's not ideal. But look, overall, again, they find a way to get it done. Is finding a way to get it done easier when you're playing the Washington Nationals? Yes. And that would be one of my reservations about this game, about this series, particularly where we'll go to talk about it in a minute. Um, But some good work kept pretty tidy once you got into the bullpen too, like Woody battled to keep things where they needed to be. Box came in, loaded up the bases, didn't quite look like he had it, but ultimately, again, produced produced a beautiful pitch for the final out to get out of the inning. Um, Hobie Milner was in and, you know, just allowed it to get to a scary position where 
I guess Josh Hader may be grateful because he gets to come in and pick up a really easy save. Um, but it's the kind of game where you're like, you know, it'd be great if you're just way out in the, the distance, comfortable win, and you don't have to worry about Hader. But overall, another job well done in this case. I mean, I think overall when we talk about the series, it's tough to have gripes with the 7-0 win or the 5-1 win, even though I don't think they were anywhere near their best in really any game in this series. Yeah, I was... uh, A few things that I thought of from our conversations about it is just, I like, in theory, the idea of what Council wants to do with mixing and matching things, but the, the... players are good he, <laughs> that's yeah that's the issue you've got two guys on the team that are really dhs mike rosso is having you know a decent season with the bat he's you know actually producing he's got an 836 ops uh he's only had 46 at bats but he in the in the batter's box especially against a left-handed pitcher great uh casting he's got his ops up to 778 um had the great walk-off homer um you know happy about that but neither of these guys really have a position defensively where they can come in and, and be uh, average to above average. Um, so that is concerning moving forward just because flexibility is only flexibility if it <laughs> doesn't put you in a bind in the field. Um, so and, and that, again, is one of the issues uh, with Willie Adamas being out because it is removing one link from a chain and then that can make the chain kind of bunched up and weird in other places and it it rears its head and in, in some defensive miscues and even, even plays that aren't necessarily errors that are just situations where you think if Adamus is it short and Urias is at third or even Jace is at third, you know, we're, we're not having these issues. So something to monitor moving forward. I like can, seeing, can we just on that? Cause I mean, we're going to get to game three then and like Russell will play shortstop, which some some really bold stuff. It's like that's just a far too central a role defensively for for my liking. I think it's look. I mean, that's I guess that's Luis Arias's first game off since Willie went down. So I'm at some point maybe you've got to do it. But well, my concern is that this series and the mixing and matching that he was doing felt more like trying to steal off days for guys against the Nationals because they're not very good, which is why you see Brasso at shortstop. But in the series, a home series, coming off another home series, immediately after an off day, is this the time to do it? No, I don't think so. Sweep them. Like, we talked about this. That's the goal going in. You're now behind the Padres in the standings, and you've got a big series on the road coming up against them. It's like... You know, get the games that are there and they're just like really easy work for you. Don't pass those up um, with an eye on what's to come. Like, I, I don't really like that. Um, my, my concern overall, and I take your point, and Mike Brasso is having a good season with the bat. And it feels like he delivers. Where does he fit in a lineup at any later point in the season, though? I like, I think he doesn't because he's not. He's ideally, yes, he'd be a DH. Is he a DH you want on this team? No. Is he the guy you really want for big playoff moments? I'm aware he is the proud owner <laughs> of a massive playoff moment. But is that is that something that we think, oh, this is just who Mike Brasso is. You're going to put him in that spot and he's going to deliver year after year? No, he's not. I mean, when it comes to DH, I think 
like, do you want Andrew McCutcheon in that spot? Or are you going to be looking at Mike Brasso in the playoffs? I, I think right now it's pretty clear you'd want Andrew McCutcheon. Um, or let's say there's a scenario where, as unlikely as it seems, Lorenzo Cain finds something a bit more consistent with the bat and you're comfortable playing him. You want him there for his glove. You'd want Tyrone Taylor there. Or I honestly think there is more that's kind of projectable in a long-term sense for sure, but also there's a bit more explosiveness with Kesson Hura with the bat where you could be like, you know what, if it's going to be someone other than Kutch, he's the guy we want to DH. So with all of that considered, what, what's the point? What are we doing here? What are we achieving? Let's bring up Bryce Tarang or someone and let's, let's actually do something that's building towards, you know, the playoffs building towards your future, because I understand it's a long season. You don't want to burn through things. Now you're looking at managing options. You want to keep yourself in the best possible position. If injuries crop up down the line. I mean, one of the spots though, that you're particularly vulnerable to that is your infield depth. And particularly with, shortstop i mean luis arias can play there he did play there before willie adamas came in but i can speak a little bit more just a tiny bit more qualified on this subject having read all the willie adamas trade uh, reflection pieces in the past few days the brewers hadn't made that trade because luis arias was not delivering a shortstop like that was just not working out in the way it has and the move to third base has completely rejuvenated him on both sides of the ball. I I think you could do it another shortstop option in there. It's great that Luis can cover that, but I, I think we need to consider, you know, what other ways or honestly, one of the things we've talked about and just touching on some of the prospects some of the more interesting prospects throughout the organization, they're working really hard to have versatile guys to have multi-position guys who can go and contribute. It might be time to bring some of those up and let them continue to develop those multi-position instincts on the main roster. Because ultimately, what's the, like, what is the drop-off? Like we've seen for Mike Brasso's good hitting, we've seen him really struggle with even some kind of pretty simple, there's one that you just need to kind of pick clean off the floor. You know, this isn't, it's just kind of like the bread and butter of being a third baseman. And he, doesn't quite have that. Like what what actually what is his position? Uh pinch hitter. But no, uh, I think uh I mean he's listed third, short, second, but I don't I have not so he's got no it. position. Yeah. It's just like there is there isn't even one. Because then today I was like, wait, when he put, started a short stop, I was like, is now is it somewhere in the back of my head that oh actually he used to be a shortstop like that that was the position. Um, with the raise that if he was getting a position start that he would find himself at. But I, maybe he's just a guy who does not have a position, which is the problem. In his career, he's gotten uh, time at right field, second base, third base, first base, left field, <laughs> and <does>. pitcher. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a situation where I don't think he's going to be factoring into the roster when – it is time for the playoffs. I mean, we saw that he was, I guess, the first bat sent down to, to Nashville when the original roster crunch happened. And when Willie gets back with Keston kind of building off some success, had a good day, 
Saturday, hit the walk-off homer. I think it's a situation where you don't need two of those bat-only bench options. And then Willie gets activated, and we go from there. I would have liked to see Terang up as soon as Willie got hurt. I think as soon as the slide happened, I think our DM conversation was like, all right, it's Terang time, baby. And then that didn't happen. So but, um, so maybe you can give me some insight. I know this is probably dependent on the specifics of the contracts. But what is the reason or what is the obstacle to not taking advantage of that, even if it is for just the 10 days of being like, that's who we're going to get up. How many options are we dealing with over the course of a season? How does all that work out? Options and years of control. So I don't know if we've reached the point in the calendar where uh, if he plays a certain amount of games, like if you read the Chris Bryant, the tale of Chris Bryant, if you ever get the chance, kind of what happened with him in the Cubs where they held him down held him down in the minors longer than they should. He was ready to play and be an everyday starter, but they wanted to uh, postpone the clock starting on his service time, which would get him to arbitration a year earlier. So there, I don't know what the date is this season, but there will be a time in the calendar where that no longer becomes an issue for Terang and Ethan Small being called up. So mm. that's definitely a factor. That, that, Andrew, that is the factor. You've just you've explained why we're not seeing any of these. Yeah, but I, the but I don't are, know if we've they're watching their wallets. You know, they're postponing paydays down the line or decisions if all this works out in a world where they would like it to work out as well as it could. So that's 100 percent what's happening here. That's why we don't see. That's why we're cycling through all of the un- uninteresting uh, Nashville pitchers. And it's not just eating small time. And maybe well, maybe that's going to continue now that I know that. Um, my, I have a different perspective on all of this, but I, but I don't, I don't know if that date is passed or not, which is what uh, my issue is because it it was is definitely a factor until then that until that date, and then after that date, it just becomes willful ignorance and just uh, wanting to annoy us. It annoys me in general uh, because I don't care about the pockets of billionaires when his contract comes up, sign him to an extension that's market value. But I know that is the reality of the situation and uh yeah so i've i've been googling maybe this is something you and i can follow up with offline but i don't know when that date is this year uh we'll figure it out but yeah so we touched on the the 5-1 uh win in game two move the everything we've had in a discussion right here about the lineups and moving around and mike brasso at shortstop and some of the weaknesses (laughs) that come from comes back with a vengeance uh all the things we just discussed were more about game three, which was just an out and out disaster and was one of the many L's I took on this, uh, this Sunday. It was just, it felt like we said, council's trying to get a day off for Urias. He was tried to get a day off for Telez the day before. Um, but it just felt like a spring training game, to be honest with you. I don't know if you got the same vibes I did, but yeah, never competitive. Aaron Sanchez, not a good pitcher. He's got a 7-1-6 ERA on the year. Comes out and holds you to two runs and is racking up double play, double plays like they're, I don't know, popcorn at the movies. Like, it was just an all-in-all-out bad day. Freddie Peralta didn't have it, and then we would later learn that it's because he's hurt and he was pitching hurt um, and, and waited to sell the team and just overall disaster day. 
that kind of left. Uh, I don't mean to be negative. People are going to get honest. Uh, look, uh, with Freddie, first things first, with Freddie. I don't think Freddie was pitching all that poorly early on. The fielding was terrible. Just terrible. Um, even things that were not necessarily scored as errors, I think that were borderline. The amount of just decisions, the amount of non-throws, because guys were a little too slow. I said to you earlier, it's just everything was really lackadaisical. It's like, oh, yeah, it's, you know, midday on a Sunday kind of thing. That was their entire vibe today. It's like, no, that's that's bullshit. Go sweep the Nationals. This is a series you should be sweeping. Like, go take care of business. They were... I mean, I think the tone was set with the lineup. Like, that's that's part of it, too. It's a lineup that you're like, what is this? Like, that was probably my literal response, literally what I said to you. When you see someone, you see Brasso at shortstop. It's like, is this, is this necessary? Is this a good idea? Um, particularly now that a return date is in sight for Willie. He's expected back for game on the Cardinal series. So we're looking at three more days before he's back. Could you just stick with... With Arias until then, I, I think you probably could. Um, but no, they didn't. And uh, it's it's actually you know it is unfair to like focus in on Brasso like that. But it, it's not even about that. It's about creating weak links in in your defense. And it, that's that's what him and Keston does, and it puts greater strain everywhere. And you see. Colton Wong, then there was the, I think one of the early ones where Freddie, you know, it's not a bad pitch, it should be taken care of and you get a double play out of it. Instead, you've got miscommunication between Colton and Bross. And it's like, yeah, if Willie's out there, that doesn't happen. You know, it's like, was it probably Colton's fault? Yes. But also that's the two guys, it's no one taking ownership. It's just not having the kind of solidity in the defense that we come to expect. So that just is, again, it's an issue. And it got away from them really early here, where I think Freddie pitched quite well early. Now, I don't think he came into this game hurt. Everything he's said suggests he got hurt at some point in this game, um, but stayed in the game longer than he should have. But yeah, things things really got away Um Ultimately, when he came out, too, right? I mean, he finished with five earned runs, but was the score 2 nothing when he came out of the game? Uh, I believe so. He came out in, in that disaster fourth inning uh, without retiring an out. Um, so, I, yeah, I believe 2 nothing, and then he came out, and then the floodgates opened. Um, and I will say... People <laughs> have gotten on us for being critical of Craig Council, and I do want to say that when I'm when we're critical of Mike Brasso and him being in at shortstop, we're really what we're really saying is we're critical of Craig Council yeah, for putting him in that situation. In that position, sure. Because uh, Mike Brasso has two starts at shortstop in his major league career, and they were both this season for the Brewers. I think he's played there in the what, minors. What was but the other just, start this season? Uh, or he might have been as a late game replacement, I think, in one of the games. But his only other time at shortstop, I do remember the game. I can't remember who it was against, but he, I think, he came in like when they were empty, when they were empty in the bench, kind of a situation at one okay. point. Um, so yeah, I think Council just from time to time does not set this team up for success. And yeah, overall, the the lineup one through seven 
was fine, but what it did what it did to the infield defense, I think, was just it it just doesn't work. And I don't it's not something you should be trying unless Urias just can't go. And if that was the case, fine, but I, I don't think that it was. Um but yeah, the uh, news but the, about- the thing with that, Andrew, right? Because I we clearly we are not years into watching this team, so we don't have the the goodwill built up towards council that a lot of people have. I fully understand this is something of a golden era for Brewers baseball. Like this is this level of consistency, this kind of reliable. We're going to be able to go and compete. We're going to be in the mix for the playoffs is not something that Brewers fans have been all that used to. And even more so, like, it's kind of come off the back of what was one of the most lean spells in the franchise's history. That's still in, in recent memory. So, again, that's going to bring a lot of goodwill towards it. But the reality is when you're a few years into that, it then becomes, okay, well, are we going to win or not? Like, are we going to actually step up and do the thing or at least, like, give ourselves a real chance to do the thing? Or are we not? And it, they are not at the extreme of that scale yet. And I, I don't think we, as a podcast, at this point in the season, are holding the Brewers or Craig Council to that. But there is also just a sense of, hey, you don't want to put yourself in the spot you were in last year, or you're going to have a one-series playoffs again. And that... That cannot be what the postseason is for a team with this many good players, with pitching of this caliber. You've just got to set things up to be better than that. And I think for all of the good work that is done in building the roster on a limited budget, making them as competitive as they are, it's games like these will add up. And it's why we have kind of talked about it quite a bit and we're already like, I mean, I say already, we're now like quarter of the way through the season. It's going by fast. But We've been keeping a close eye on the standings because your seeding is going to matter and trying to get out of a spot where something could happen like what happened against the Braves last year, that's pretty important. And if you're Craig Council, I would think that's got to be like a driving factor in your job. It's got to be, let's let's make sure we're setting ourselves up to the best chance at a playoff run at this point. Not just make the playoffs. Like we know with the division, they're set up well to make the playoffs regardless, but there's enough really, really great players on this team, particularly in the pitching staff, that the goals should be a little bit loftier. And in that, all the decisions don't necessarily add up. Well, there are two reasons uh, primarily that, that I think I've have been hypercritical. And one of some of them are what you've described. Because overall, we'll say it. This is this season is going well. They're twenty six and fifteen. Uh, I think one of the things is is I'm just hire, holding them to a high standard because I think this is a team that can make an NLCS or make a World Series. I think they're that good, and just slipping up and losing a game here or there to the Nationals or losing a series to the Reds gets in the way of that overall goal because what we said about the seating because this team is good enough to get in the playoffs and win i fully believe that and if they make the job harder for themselves by losing games they shouldn't then you know it it can be a little frustrating i mean this is something that happens but uh because of that higher standard i'm holding them to that's that's why we get a little more frustrated i mean the phillies beat the dodgers today the orioles beat the rays like this happens but 
Um, and also the Braves like, won the World Series last year in spite of not being the team who best positioned themselves to go and do it. Like, we know all this is possible. But it's also fair to say, you know, over time, what are the percentages going to even out as? You know, it's probably a good idea to put yourself in the best possible spot going into the playoffs if you want to get the best, best possible result in the playoffs. Uh, another reason is I grew up in the age of baseball writing from guys like Keith Law, Craig Calcaterra, listening to the Baseball Today podcast. So because of that background, I just think most managers are not good tacticians at their jobs. And so I'm hypercritical of every manager because gen- generally across baseball, that seems to be true. Even the guys I thought were smart or not smart. Joe Madden literally walked a dude with the bases loaded to score a run a few weeks ago. Like absolute nonsense. Like some of these guys just are so set in their ways. So what? So it roast us in the discord. We don't like a lot of the decision-making that's happening, but the Brewers are 26 and 15. I still think they can be a uh, hundred game ish pace division winner, top two seed, but they now because of things that have happened against the nationals, losing a game, you shouldn't losing a series. You shouldn't the red. You need to, you need to, prove that you can uh, fight with the big boys in a series coming up this week against San Diego Padres, someone that you'll be in direct conflict with for one of those top two places. So if you don't take advantage of uh, the low hanging fruit. You got to make it up somewhere. And I think this is a very interesting measuring stick series coming up. On the Cardinals. I mean, Cardinals aren't too far behind and you really can't mess around there um, because if you've bought series against the Cardinals, all of a sudden, the outlook of things changes in a hurry. And the Cubs after that, Cubs aren't all that good. But this is an 11-game road trip. And are they going to go 11-0? No, they're absolutely not. So that's where passing up. I mean, I don't have a problem with winning the Series 2-1 against the Marlins, winning the Series 2-1 against the Braves. But this is one where you should really sweep. And the Freddie injury and how all of that unravels for them. Look, that's, you can't account for that. And that's bad luck. That is not part of Craig council's plan for the game. Um, but even before that, things had really kind of loosened up early in a way that was not ideal in part because of some of the other decisions. And I, look, I think if people disagree, cause they just feel like, no, like based on what I've seen over a large sample of time, I'm, happy to trust in him i'm very confident in his decision making that's fine by me hey that's great i like i i don't have any issue with that but i i do struggle with say something like the constant you know batting order in flux like what is the what is the reason for that there is there is no good reason why every day i should have to go and check the lineup mostly to be like is Rowdy at three or four, or is he at six today? Like, it just doesn't make sense. He's your RBI leader. He's joint home run leader on the team. There's no reason why he should ever be falling that low. And just generally, like, the lineups are kind of roulette. And I don't know. You could tell me, like, going back to your overall things on managers, how common that is at this point. What are you ultimately gaining from that? I, I think even with switching guys out and all of the just the normal ebbs and flows of baseball management across the season this long, I I don't see the downside in kind of 
establishing a pretty clear order and then making your adjustments based on performance, which has been something that hasn't happened. And then lineup decisions like we've everyone who's listened, you're probably sick of hearing us early in the season when we were talking so much about Rowdy, Rowdy not playing against lefties. But then in game two, he doesn't play, gets a lefty here, and Kesson Hura comes in. And it, it does not go well. And, well, look, it went okay. It went okay in the end. But Kesson Hura is someone who, again, when we're to go back to the process, anywhere and everywhere I went on Twitter, including my DMs where I could find you, everyone was like, he just he doesn't hit well against lefties. Like, so where is the logic in that decision making? You've got a lefty who actually does pretty well against lefties. And you've got a lefty who or you've got a, a right-hander who doesn't do well against them, and you're just that's the real old-fashioned dogmatic thing that you're talking about. It's just like, oh well, one's left, one's right. I know what decision I'm gonna make here. And it feels like we'd move past that too. So I as much as people may disagree, I do think there's certain elements of this which are to me, it would seem really difficult to just dismiss out of hand and be like, oh, that's nothing, or that doesn't matter. It's like, well, it does matter. And it's also building habits and what are you trying to do? Like, I, I do think Mike Brosso at shortstop sends out something of a message. I don't think it sends out the, you know, we're really concerned about the Washington Nationals are going to take them really seriously and sweep this series. Um, yeah, it's one of those things that I thought we were past as well. Uh, with the with the rowdy thing in the mixing and matching, and then it popped up again because rowdy and Keston, there's there's no logic there. Uh, Brasso and Jace, there's logic from from a bat perspective. Then you sub him in against you sub Jason against the rowdy to play defense into the game, but it doesn't. It, it seems like it's just right left, uh, like right left numbers be damned. So. That's yeah, it's it's frustrating. It doesn't make sense. But I mean, the guy's won a bunch of divisions in the row, get or, or a bunch of divisions in his what is it, eight seasons as manager. Um, pro- probably a good clubhouse guy, but I genuinely just don't think managers often set their teams up for the best success. I watched Brian Snicker uh, win a World Series last year. Braves fans will tell you his decisions are maddening. And then he'll have quotes after the game uh, defending a certain bullpen usage thing. And it's just completely illogical. So, uh, like Jace, just because you bring Jace up there and like Jace 677 OPS right now, which is it's not really any great shakes. It's, it's fine ish, but it's on the low end, even of kind of guys we're seeing regularly on this roster. Um, but he is contributing on both sides, so you don't just kind of limit it to that. Like, I look at wins of a replacement. Don't know how everyone feels about wins of a replacement. Only Willie Adams and Hunter Renfro have higher wins of a replacement than Jace Peterson so far this season on the Brewers. And honestly, that kind of checks out, like, and particularly as things have gone on. Like, that's not just a, where there might have been a point where, I mean, you were even very much in favor of Brasso kind of being the guy sticking up around before he was sent down to Nashville when those roster cuts came along. And since then, basically, Jace has taken off. Like, that isn't the decision it once was, where it's like, oh, you know, flip a coin and we just put one of these guys in. 
Now, Jace is doing really well, and he's showing that you can trust him defensively at your spot. Uh, and that kind of being goes, said, he did, he did too. make an error today. He and did another that should have been an error. So it's just a tough situation with Willie out. Really, how, there are. How was there not six errors today? Uh, there's been some interesting scoring decisions this year across these games for plays that, I mean, there are some games where I thought either a defensive team or, I mean, the opposing team or the Brewers should have like three or four errors. And I look and it's one. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, a lot of, how did Rowdy decisions. not have an error today? I, I thought Rowdy actually had an error. And then there was also two occasions where, he was just like chilling. He was just like, "Yeah, I'll just take my time with this." Like, what are you doing? And one, it's one of the interesting things in baseball scoring, um, or not interesting, stupid's probably a better word, uh, because Hunter Renfro comes in on a ball he should have went back on, misreads it completely, goes over his head. But because he didn't attempt to play on the ball and like botch it, they're not going to give you an error for that. But yeah, even though the error yeah, was think, the read, which didn't get you to the ball. Correct. And a similar situation, um, I think, on one of those balls with Rowdy, where he, I don't like wasn't one of the bunts. He just like completely like wasn't charging and, and didn't make the play. Everyone's safe. So yeah, overall on Sunday the defense was just uh, they were they were playing like they were me and hung over from the night before at the concert is is really what it looked like. But I just I just say I want Willie back because I think like something as simple as that and providing that everyday normalcy and getting everything back to where it should be, I think we'll do worlds for this situation. And it gives Craig l- less opportunities to make decisions about things and, and rather than just go with your best nine guys. What about the nonsense bond fest that we got in the fort, which ultimately paid off for the nationals? Yes. Uh, it was cowardly. Uh, Nats, I mean, that, uh, that think, really was cowardly. Yeah, I mean, I I hated it, especially because it worked. Um, It was just a disaster. Like, it's, all, that all was, it all. was on Rowdy, did not deal very well with that. I did Suter. I, his positioning was kind of all over the place for that. He, there was one where I felt like he slipped as well. So Rowdy wasn't putting himself off and kind of best foot forward. And then he wasn't having his pitcher really assist him very well there. And that's not a good combination when a team is bumping. Um, I assume the other play that you mentioned earlier, that's kind of a checklist play and something weird was the out um, called on Jace for, I don't even remember what the terminology would be, but this is not something I'd considered at all in my baseball viewing till now, that there was like a narrow pathway you were supposed to run between. I feel like I've seen guys zig around, you know, zig around defenders are trying to get them out around first base. I've seen it even in just snippets of other games. So what is going on there? I mean, Rock very much disagreed with that call and felt like it was wrong. Is it that clear cut? Do you say that was just a bad call and it's not reviewable and that's what happens? Or what was going on with that play? And maybe for people who aren't watching, if you want to explain it in some uh, smoother baseball terminology than I probably busted up there. I looked up the rule. Any runner is out when he runs more than three feet away from his base path to avoid being tagged unless his action is to avoid interference with a fielder fielding a batted ball. 
A runner's base path is established when the tag attempt occurs and is a straight line from the runner to the base he's attempting to reach safely. So I don't think Jace went so the base path only gets established when the tag is attempted. Uh, according to this rule, yes. And so I don't in, think you in went theory through. your base path could be as wide as you want it to be. Um, in theory, like I can show like you, you some could be way out on the grass. I'm sure there becomes a line where they might just call it anyway. But the thing is, is he did not. I don't think he moved the full three feet. No, I don't think so. So, so yeah, it was. I think it was a bad call. Apparently, CB Buckner has a habit of making these types of bad calls, at least if Twitter's to be believed, because I saw a bunch of. Of course, CB Buckner made that call. So I guess it's like Angel Hernandez with the strike zone or something. From my recollection of it, he actually started to kind of zig out. And again, I don't think he really goes out that far. Probably more than three feet overall from when he starts to. But it was before the tag was attempted. Like at that point, it was. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say it was that the fielder was going to be obstructing his line, but. That was that was basically the intention was I need to go a little bit wider here. I, I certainly don't think from when the tag was attempted it would have been three feet, but that's yeah, it was something I had never considered up until now. I mean, sure, it seems like there's a logical way you should run the bases. Um, the most efficient route would certainly not be the widest route. So I took that as certainly a good reason why guys aren't like running kind of a semicircle out onto the grass. Uh, but yeah, really not real. It seems like maybe it's an option. Yeah, it was uh, it was something I, I thought you'd take note of just because of the peculiarity and the situation where it seems like baseball's rules make no sense and are also applied uh, in different ways depending on the day. If you're really fast and kind of shifty and you could kind of, you know, drop a shoulder and cross up uh, someone who's trying to tag it, I mean, there's no reason in this case not to like just arc your run way out onto the grass and around and just trust yourself that, you know, um, maybe like a, a wide receiver trying to get get free, get loose down the field, that you'll be able to shake off any attention. So I don't know. I'm definitely taking the the rule that you read out and being very literal with it where, yeah, there is probably a, you know, this is how baseball is played elements to this that a lot of these umpires would enforce. Yep. Uh, so the bunt fest led to a disaster of a six run fourth inning. Milwaukee would get two in the bottom of the fifth, a Tyrone Taylor Homer, and then an, RBI ground out for Andrew McCutcheon, although it probably should have been a double play. Yet another double play uh, on the day for the Washington Nationals. And the Brewers would lose 8-2, and it was not fun at all. Uh, we said some of our, uh, our the, the things we took issue with in the lineup and in the, the fielding alignment. It was just uh, a no-good, very bad day, and the worst of it all is Freddie Peralta going to the IL, and now the guessing game be be becomes where do the Brewers go from here? Do we get a situation where we get the call up we've been yearning for that if the clock has, <laughs> has moved past the, the arbitration date or whatever the service time date they need it to, will we see Ethan small up or will we see maybe uh, Josh Lindblom 
I don't know. I guess it's gonna be Justin to... Bum. Justin Bum is exactly who it's gonna be. Uh, well, he seems like a great guy, but why do you make me sad, Adam? I want to see Ethan Small. Uh, honestly, I thought that's what was happening until he explained how that works. I was like, oh, money's involved. Uh, this this all makes sense now. All it's like it's like when the books are cycling through guys up to a certain point, make sure to guarantee they don't kick in. You know, it's I'm yeah, I'm familiar with this kind of style of uh, making sure you're saving every cent you can, operating as efficiently as you can with your budget. So mm, I hope I'm proven wrong. I mean, the other thing I'll mention, we're recording this on Sunday night. Freddie Peralta is scheduled to have an MRI on Monday. If he happens to have an MRI very early on Monday, maybe you know the outcome of all of this before um, or while you're even listening to this. But yeah, we're working with what we know right now. So... Um, Chris Bryant was called up two weeks into the season on a date that left him with 171 days of service. So if that's to be believed and it didn't change drastically during the last CBA, then we should be getting to a point where... Seems um, like some things changed during the last CBA, Andrew. It's uh, it definitely some... Things, def- things definitely changed, but... uh. <laughs> Goodness, I'll fi- I'll I'll get it sorted, but no one's making it easy on me. Come on, Google, um, Master Brewer, spent, Leader Bush. Yeah, we spent a lot of time uh, talking about the bad things, but some guys had some good performances. Um, like we said, Eric Lauer, seven innings pitch, five hits, no runs, no walks, five strikeouts. Hunter Renfro, uh, five for ten, three RBI, two runs scored. Uh, Luis Arias, two for seven, two walks. Homer and RBI two runs. Rowdy Tellez three for seven, one walk, a homer, two RBI. Andrew McCutcheon four for twelve, one walk, one homer, two RBI, two runs scored. Uh, those are your your master brew point winners for the Washington National Series. Beers all round. Uh, Leaderboard true. Where are we at now? We're at forty one games, right? Yep. Rowdy Tellez extends his lead. Um, I wasn't sure, particularly Red didn't play game two, tough defensive moments game three, but in talking about this before we recorded, you made the case, which I think is very accurate, that was a really important home run in game one, and I'll see if he doesn't deliver it a two-run homer at that point when the score is 0-0, well, maybe you lose that one too. You know, if you don't get at that point what was ultimately an easy win, maybe doesn't. So he really stepped up and delivered as he often has this season. That's why he is the Master Brew leader at the moment with seven Master Brew points. In second on four, we have a four-way tie. Christian Yalich, Josh Hader, Willie Azamas, Corbin Burns. With three, we've got Freddie Peralta, Eric Lauer continuing to his climb, and Hunter Renfro. On two, we have Brandon Woodruff, Colton Wong, Jace Peterson, Devin Williams, Andrew McCutcheon, and Luis Arias. And with single beer so far, we've got Adrian Hauser, Trevor Gott, and Keston Ura. Moving on to what I mentioned before, which I think is uh, a very big and intriguing series to see where the Brewers are in terms of stacking up with other contenders in the National League. We take a trip out west. Uh, Tomorrow, 
8.40 Central start. Adrian Hauser on the mound against the San Diego Padres, taking on Nick Martinez. Um, I'm on a business trip to New York this week. I will be in my hotel watching West Coast baseball. Uh, Tuesday, May 24th, 8.40 Central start. Nationally televised on TBS, no free ads. Corbin Burns will face off against Blake Snell. And then on getaway day, Wednesday, May 25th, Aaron Ashby versus Yu Darvish. 310 Central start. Uh, three games in San Diego, four in St. Louis, four in Chicago, which will bring us to June. It's a really tough time in the schedule. And even, like see- even when they return home, Andrew, it's, they return home to four games against the Padres again. Like, this is a colossal stretch. Yep, big-time measuring stick. Uh, San Diego have played great this year. As I transition to my next comment, we're always keeping the eye, an eye on the standings, even in May. In terms of the division, it's it's still going well. 26-15 and 15 record, three-game lead over the St. Louis Cardinals. But like we said, we've got higher standards. We want to see them make a run in a top-two seed. Currently, they are staring ahead of up to three different teams. The Los Angeles Dodgers at 27 and 13 lead the National League right behind them. The San Diego Padres at 27 and 14, the New York Mets 28 and 15. And the Brewers find themselves one and a half games back of the Dodgers, a a full game back of both the Padres and the Mets. And right behind them in the standings is those St. Louis Cardinals. So uh, big stretch coming up against some good teams. And it's these are the kind of things that even in May factor into the the standings and and what the season outlook looks like when you get to October. Yeah, this is a series that would be good to it too. You know, if you can win this series, that's that's something you'll take every single time. Um, So let's hope they can deliver Adrian Hauser mixed bag so far this season. Um, Some more positive signs recently, even though he hasn't always got the reward for that. Let's hope it's a good one on Monday night. And then Corbin Burns at the moment. Game three against the Padres is scheduled to be Aaron Ashby against Hugh Darvish. We'll see. We'll see if that's Ashby, and we'll see what way the starting rotation gets kind of shook up, and um, particularly with Freddie likely out. Or not even likely. He's on he's on 10-day IL, so he will be out for a little while. Um, but yeah, it would be nice to win this series. Absolutely. And, you know, this stretch of games, it it looks like a great time to drop Ethan Small into his major league debut against a division rival. As much as I want to see him on Memorial Day in Durham, North Carolina, when the National Sounds come to town, uh, I'd much rather see him take the mound at Wrigley Field. This guy pitched at Mississippi State. He's done a Friday night at Duty at Noble Field at Alex Box Stadium in Omaha. He's not going to be scared of the moment. And the Ethan Small stand podcast lives on. We also, I mean, um, the star of the Cubs trip, that's um, that's the makeup game from what was what was rained off to start the season, right? We've got, we're going to have a busy day. Yeah. Um, I'm excited for that. A... That's, my, that's my first doubleheader. I believe the Monday is a doubleheader. Oh, awesome. I love that we get to check off these like baseball moments in your life that you haven't got to experience. Yet. I think Monday is a doubleheader. Um, yeah, it is. One hundred five yeah. and seven forty. Okay, see, so um, there are two different days on my schedule. 
Ah, uh, yes. And it's as as much as I understand what I'm looking at, it's late, so I'm not uh, sure. So yeah, that will be that'll be interesting. Yeah, I learned all about that during my time in quarantine. Like there's there's two games on the same day. Oh no, that's a different thing. Anyway, yeah, big stretch coming up. Hoping they can uh pile up some wins against good teams. Uh as as much as we have certain concerns and take issue with things, we're we're all in on this journey, Adam, and we just want we just want good things for the Milwaukee Brewers. We sure do. All right. That does it for this episode. Make sure you subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. That's cruising for a bruising. And you'll never miss an episode going forward. You should also subscribe to the Eurostep Podcast Network. And that's where you'll find me and Jordan talking about the books on Winning Six. It's been a while since Jordan and I have been on pod together. We will have a Winning Six coming up likely on Tuesday. So make sure you subscribe to get that. You'll also hear Ty and Rohan on the Eurostep regularly too. GSPN.substack.com. If you go and sign up there, you'll get all of our pods straight to your inbox, as well as Andrew's delightful write-ups on the Master Brewer uh, leaderboard. GSPNstore.com. You want to support us, rep the pod, rep win six, Eurostep, go to the store. All of our merch is up there. Lots of great stuff. People wearing it in the ballpark. You know. Yeah, can just... I shout out uh, someone that sent us a lovely picture? It was... Logan I five Logan. There we Logan, go. Yes. And sent us a great picture in the cruising for a bruising shirt under a jersey. Just awesome. Uh love seeing it in the ballpark. Uh I've like never been more like itching to go to a place other than Anfield, which I've already done, than I am for a Brewers game now. Like I to be so invested in a thing that is like far away and also that you've never thought you know better than anyone i know as well Andrew. and for me it's just like so random and never thought this would be something in my life that i'm just longing to do and here i am being like uh i'm like the the jay-z meme where he's just rocking back and forth i'm like i want to be in the ballpark but yeah uh keep the i think that's the that's a donald glover meme you're thinking of more the the jay-z back and forth one he's that's when he's into the song Oh, okay, I thought it, I I use it as more of like a, I look nervous or I'm anticipating. No, no, not the Jay Z one, the Donald Glover one, the rocking back and forth. Like that's I think that's okay. more suitable. Yeah, yeah, that works uh, either way. <laughs> yeah, I think that's pretty much everything. Oh, last thing, you know, rate and review the pod if you're listening. Please uh, help us out. We're still a new pod. We're still trying to find an audience, trying to get the word out there. Uh, quite a few of you have been kind enough to leave five-star ratings and reviews. If you could do that, if you're listening and you haven't done that already and you enjoy what we're doing, please go leave a five-star rating and review. We'll read the review out on the show. Um, Andrew has sang reviews in the past, but please leave us a five-star rating or review. We greatly appreciate it. And if you do so, and you're not already a member of our GSPN Discord, Send a screenshot to either of us on Twitter. I'm at AdamMcGee11, Andrew's at AC Snide, or to at BrewersGSPN. Or alternatively, you can go to my Twitter and in the bio, there's a link um, where you can fill in the Discord access form. And we'll bring you into our GSPN Discord. Great books group chat in there. Great Brewers channel too. And the key thing, I mean, in there right now, Andrew and I regularly, pretty regularly, watching Brewers games together with some of our GSPN colleagues with a whole bunch of listeners. 
Um, and if you want to get the links to those playback rooms we're doing at the moment for the foreseeable future, those rooms will remain private and they're Discord only. So if you want to watch Brewers games with us, that's who you get access to the links for those when we were doing them. And also as one added bonus, if you want to have just, you know, an ongoing discount code, anytime you want to pick something up in the GSPN store, Discord is the place for you. Exclusive discount for Discord members. Andrew, I think that well and truly did it. Until next it time. Does. Thanks very much to all of you for listening. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Adam. The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos. My Patriot Supply has helped over three million families become more self-reliant and is the company Americans trust to prepare. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure their best-selling three-month emergency food kits. Each contain delicious breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Secure at least one food kit for each family member. For a limited time, save $200, plus get free shipping on all their Ready Hour three-month emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. My Patriot Supply also has solar power generators, water filtration units, biomass stoves, heirloom seeds, and critical survival gear. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com